pivot point into me realizing shit, I can really live a life like this freely. Like, why isn't everyone hopping off the bandwagon in our society? Why are companies not believing that we can get this shit done from swinging in a hammock in like Thailand? Because we can. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Koshovsky, and welcome to episode 48 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today, you will hear from Alex Martinez, the founder of Rebel Creative, a feminist digital marketing agency focused on helping brands grow and succeed online. Alex has been running her agency online while traveling and working from three different continents every year, so she knows a thing or two about being a location-independent entrepreneur. She's also an accomplished sailor, having worked several summers as a first mate on boats from Croatia to the Caribbean, which is really cool, and we dive in on how she found those positions and how she was able to actually juggle working online and working from boats. And in this interview, Alex talked about why she started her agency in the first place and the unique business model behind it, her strategy for finding new high-quality clients through social media, and the realities of working online that we don't hear about through social media very often. I really enjoyed speaking with Alex, and I think you guys will find this conversation really helpful, especially if you're in the process of building your own online agency or considering launching one. Before we jump into this episode, head over to Apple Podcasts or whatever your favorite podcasting app is and leave this podcast an honest review if you haven't already. It is the number one way to support this podcast and help it grow, and I would appreciate it so, so much. You can find all the show notes mentioned in this episode, along with Alex's Holy Grail of Remote Work Guide, which has tons of information to help you work remotely over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 48. That's episode all spelled out, followed by the number 48. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Alex Martinez. All right, well, Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to uh, to talk with you and we connected over Instagram, which is, isn't it crazy now that like we didn't know each other and then we had a mutual friend that connected us kind of on Instagram and then we we're talking, like, isn't that nuts that you can like do that now? Yeah, it's a great networking tool and platform and now I find out about your business, you find out about mine and that wouldn't have happened without Instagram. <laughs> yeah, and like you have like a pretty big following on Instagram, which is great. Like how do you like... I think that a lot of people don't really use Instagram in this way. Like they just kind of like post things. They don't really like work it. Like not to like get you asking, like, you know, spilling all the, all the, all the details at the very beginning of uh, this show. But I was kind of curious about like, what are some of the ways that you've used Instagram or like in what ways has Instagram been beneficial in sort of like this way? Totally. Besides um, the networking aspect that comes from it that we're talking about, I mean, if you market yourself and brand yourself correctly and just have this this persona of yourself online that's authentic and niche, those are the kind of things that get your your account visible and people want to follow you if they see quality content that you're creating. So for example, in my case, I kind of tried to cultivate a travel blog on my Instagram where I didn't want to just showcase pictures of me traveling the world such as so many other women do and kind of give us as travel bloggers a bad rep because it's like, oh, just stand here in front of this volcano for the gram. And then let's think of the most basic ass caption and Drake quote that we can put there. So what I kind of tried to do is be very honest and real and authentic with my followers and either give them something about the culture of where I am, give them a traveling tip. Those kind of seem to do best. Long captions for Instagram usually work better. Those posts appear higher up on people's feed because, you know, if we look at at Instagram and Google and all things SEO, the more that you're giving someone, the more that the more visible that you will be because people don't want to just see captions. They don't want to just see dumb selfies. You know, sometimes we do like to see that of our friends, let's be honest. Mm. But from a marketing standpoint, the more that you're giving someone, the more that you're going to grow. So one tip that I can say for kind of growing your following is having really text heavy captions that 
offer insight, that talk about where you are, that talk about what you did that day. Um, of course, having quality content. One secret that anyone can really do to improve their Instagram is just editing the sharpness just a bit in your pictures. So upping the sharpness? Basically, the HD contrast of sharpness just gives you more of an all overall cohesive like pop when you look at it from a feed. There are so many small little tips and, you know, just kind of tidbits about how to make your Instagram feed more presentable. But the most probably beneficial and efficient way to use Instagram and grow fast is through organic engagement, which is engaging with your followers and your friends and different accounts. So I'm not just talking about liking photos, but actually commenting on people's photos that you like, because that gets them to see your name. Maybe they want to go check you out and say, oh, how nice that person commented on that small detail in my photo. Like, let me go check them out. Let me give them some love too. It's kind of like this weird subconscious game that we play to just give and take on Instagram. The more you engage with others, they're going to want to give that back to you. And that's how you ultimately grow. And things like tagging and hashtags, just some basic tips. If you're using a hashtag that's like happy or smile, I'm sorry to just break your bubble, but you are doing nothing for yourself. Yeah, you want to be more like specific. with Exactly. Small and niche hashtags. That stuff's never going to get seen. But if you say, you know, um, let's say you're at a doing a yoga class instead of doing like hashtag yoga, hashtag namaste. How about hashtag yoga addict, hashtag yoga fever, hashtag yogis running the world, things like that. That's what gets seen because it's smaller. And if you hashtag something like happy, where there are 10 million other people using that same hashtag, it's just going to be buried and buried. So those are a few small uh, social media tips. I won't give them all away, but some things that you can implement immediately smaller hashtags, Mm. tagging accounts in your actual photo, extremely important because your photo shows up on a bigger account's tagged photos. And when I go, for example, to find a new restaurant, like I just did in Mexico City last week, I looked up a restaurant and I don't just trust their feed because that's all marketing material, right? I look at that restaurant's tagged photos to see what Mm. other customers, real life customers are showing and sharing and posting and tagging. So maybe I find someone else's picture of those tacos and I go, damn, what a great food blogger. Follow, you know? Yeah. She just got a follower. That's a really good idea. I've actually, in terms of like researching places, I've never thought about the fact that like, hey, let's see like what other people's pictures of this place looks like. That's that's a really good idea. And the best thing is to just look at like Mexico City Eats, for example. Or is that like an Instagram account? Yeah, pretty much every city has yeah. a foodie or eats account where one person has taken it upon themselves to just cover all the food in their local city. But people and tourists also tag that account in their photos. So when I'm in a new city traveling, I always use Instagram to find out where I'm going to eat because, you know, I like to throw in some food blogging stuff too. Yeah, I have a friend here in Cincinnati who is a, a, a developer. And for like shits and giggles, he made this website called i think it's called queen city brunch because you know cincinnati's the queen city Mm -hmm. and he literally like throws up and it and it you know there's no instagram account there's no marketing there's nothing but the dude goes to like all these brunch places and has like literally every brunch place i've ever heard of with like ratings everything like that so whenever i'm looking for a breakfast place i'm like all right let's see what he's got going um but yeah i definitely appreciate all the you know social media marketing advice that kind of stuff because that is you know you're the founder of rebelcreative.co right Mm -hmm. and that's kind of like your bread and butter from what I understand, right, is like you work with like social media there. Do you want to tell me a little bit about like the business and like why start that? And I know that this is a very loaded question, by the way. Uh, I know that you guys identify as a feminist agency. And that's something yeah. that I haven't really heard of before. So can you talk a little bit about why you started the company? What does it do? And then what does it mean to be a feminist agency? Totally. Great question. Um Well, for the past few years, ever since I graduated college about five years ago, all I wanted to do was travel the world. And I tried to take various jobs that enabled me to travel from being an au pair and a language tutor in Paris to working on sailboats in Croatia and the Caribbean and just doing all of these jobs to travel. Then I I got a job actually working remotely for a real company. And I thought, okay, well, this is easier work. You know, I can just have a completely location independent life, work from my laptop, make sure that I have good Wi-Fi and get my work done for someone else. 
So I was looking for remote jobs on Glassdoor, which is a great um, resource. Also, WeWorkRemotely.com. That's another big mm-hmm. one that does weekly roundup emails of the top corporate companies. Like right now, Johnson & Johnson and Williams-Sonoma are hiring like 80% remote, which is crazy. Really? Those big companies, if you check it out. Yeah. So pro tip for anyone looking for a, for a job right now. Yeah, there's a lot of sites out there now that like I remember when I first got started, there was like nothing and i was like reading blogs to see like who had yeah. jobs but now there's like tons of there are these platforms popping up i mean i really not to go into segue but i really do believe that this whole remote work just way it's just going to be booming in all industries because it truly mm-hmm. does save employers time and money to outsource their work but so that's what my old company was doing it was a company called unsettled which actually is a co-working retreat for remote workers so other people just like myself fellow digital nomads come on a month-long retreat in different countries around the world and work together you know you see these also popping up everywhere but once i worked for them for a while i kind of traveled with them and i thought okay I I love that I've cultivated this freedom for myself, but what if I take it a step further and I can become my own boss? Because over the past few years of doing different jobs and kind of building up my Instagram, I started a travel blog where I would start to write destination articles about the places I was going. So I actually wound up leaving that company and I opened up my own and I just jumped in the water, not knowing what to do. I opened up Rebel Creative because I wanted to be my own boss, continue working remotely and get more into marketing. I realized that, you know, I would rather be spending my time building up people's Instagram's account than doing sales or admissions for a travel company. Although it was an awesome remote job, which was the kind of first like pivot point into me realizing shit, I can really live a life like this freely. Like, why are people just, why isn't everyone hopping off the bandwagon in our society? Why are companies not believing that we can get this shit done from swinging in a hammock in like Thailand? Because we can. So slowly we're starting to see that. Open up the company. Um, I had been having a few of my own freelance clients on the side of this journey, taking different jobs, you know, writing articles for some mommy bloggers, doing people's growth on their Instagram on my own. And when I opened the company, all of my freelance clients became a client of Rebel Creative. And why I chose the route to to make it a feminist agency. Um, again, same tip as with the hashtags, but the more niche you go into something, it's just kind of one of my rules to live by. Like the less generic you can be in, the more niche, the more success that you're going to have. There is a point, of course, if I said, okay, I'm only going to work with Ukrainian feminist lesbian tech companies. Like, okay, I would set myself up There's for like failure. One. Yeah. <laughs> there might be one or two. Um, and if you're out there, please contact me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I thought that working with female owned brands and businesses is something um, just that I really want to support. And I want to support women and empower them, especially entrepreneurs like myself, because unfortunately, you know, anyone can fight me tooth and nail about this, but we just do not have the same equal opportunities as men in business. I mean, it is just ridiculous that even here in the States, we're still paid, you know, women are paid about 80 cents per dollar that a man makes. It's even less for African-American women, less for Asian women, and less for Hispanic women. And out of all of the world's leaders and on the planet right now, only 20% are women represented in in leadership. Mm. So, Obviously, this is nothing new. This has been since the dawn of time that just women don't have that same kind of equal opportunity. But we are also out here being competent creators and innovators and entrepreneurs and inventors and and curators. And all of the things that we're putting out there into the world, too, deserve sales, deserve marketing exposure. So I want to work with those clients. And I knew that in the beginning, it would be a challenge because if I'm going to be here like, oh, here's niche Alex with her marketing agency. And here comes a big man that wants to work with me. I don't want to say, oh, I'm not going to work with you. You're a man because that's actually not what feminism is all about. So Mm -hmm. I kind of do a, um, when I have my first call with someone and a free consultation, just to, to learn about what services they need. If it is, you know, a male founded company, I just say, hey, are you, you know, cool with our women creating our own rates? And if 
that my main value with my rebel girls, my agency, we have about eight other girls that make up this collective. They establish their own rates. If the client cannot afford them, we're not going to lower the rates. So again, getting even more niche, but Mm -hmm. somehow it pays off. I trust in the universe. I trust in being authentic. I definitely trust in just deciding your own worth and value because I mean, as freelancers, everybody knows if you're doing it smart, you're not just charging someone hourly. You're charging someone for your experience of years in the making of getting to know your craft, your expertise. Maybe you're also adding in there the wear and tear on your devices because they don't give you a company computer. You're using your own stuff, right? Um, Maybe they're not putting in money into a 401k or an IRA for you as a freelancer. You got to put your own money away. The same with taxes too. So If you're a potential employer that's going to work with a remote worker and you're like, damn, their rates are steep. Let's just talk about why their rates are that steep, not just because their value, whether they're actually talented or not. But if you're going to outsource the work, like maybe that person is going to be a bit more expensive. Also, another thing, people like myself are competing with freelancers across the globe now. Let's just say not to say anything bad, but, you know, a a developer in Bangladesh or India or something, Mm. they're going to have significantly lower hourly rates. And you can find those people on sites like Upwork, which is where you find freelance, you know, hourly contracts all the time. So if I'm here saying, hey, my rate is 65 bucks an hour. And this guy's saying, well, my rate is 15. Of course, the employer is going to want to save money and go with that one. But what value am I offering them? Am I, am I promising that client that I'm going to pick up the telephone no matter what time zone I'm in? Am I promising them that if I'm in a sales role that I'm speaking the same native tongue language as their clientele and target audience? It's things like this. I think I went off on a tangent there. Sorry. No, those are, those are all, that's all good information. Yeah. I think in terms of like niching down, it's actually, I found can be really beneficial because if you open up an agency and you say, Hey guys, everybody, I'm opening up an agency. Um, what's up? Right. You what know? makes you different from the rest? Right. And it makes it really difficult for you to be referred. Right. So I have friends who, and I, and I talked with somebody recently who's a friend of mine who was like, you know, I only work with travel bloggers, helping them do all their admin stuff or like, WordPress. And I'm like, sweet. I know five travel bloggers I can get you in touch with right now. If you're like, oh, I do admin work on, on WordPress. I'm like, cool. Right. Like, you know, like, not it, it's yeah. not, it's not that easy. So I think that niching down is really smart. And I do think that you can niche down too far, but for like 99% of people, I'd always say is like, I would, you know, cause we naturally don't niche down enough, but like, so if, yeah. if you're out there 99%, like the good chance that you need to like niche down further. Totally. Um, but in terms of what you said about the way that the company is structured. That's really interesting that, so you essentially have a team that they work on their own. Yes. And you you almost like connect them with the clients that need that service. Is that how that works? Exactly. So we are Rebel Creative Co. is a feminist collective agency for digital marketing services. So like I said, there are nine of us total. We are in... um four different continents and six different countries. Everybody has their own schedule. They create their own availability and they establish their own rates. And when I tell my girls to establish their rates, I tell them to factor in those things that we previously discussed. And then you build in like some margin for yourself. And then I usually add 20 to 30% of a finder's fee for myself. So when I tell my SEO blog writer, what's your hourly rate? And she says 30 bucks an hour. I'm going to tell the client that maybe it's $45 an hour or $50 an hour, because I know that I might lose some money sending money to her international bank account. That's another thing I have to factor in when I lose like a wire transfer fee. Mm -hmm. So things like this, but what do you use for that? Like, do you have a company that you like to use for the, the transfers? I use PayPal. Um, that's what I do with just my freelancers. And another pro tip when you're traveling, actually using Western Union is pretty awesome. I just recently discovered being in Buenos Aires, Argentina last week, the official peso rate is 60 pesos Argentine to $1. But if you Western Union, like transfer yourself money from your own bank account, instead of taking out an ATM, they actually give you 90 pesos for the dollar. So I'm getting, what is that? 30% more money for my same dollar. Pretty cool. Huh? 
something to look into. Yeah. Western union. It's definitely the way to go when you're in developing countries and there is this official and unofficial um, currency exchange rate on the market. Mm -hmm. They are so desperate to have us dollars because of their inflation and their currency is so unstable that they're willing to give you a little bit more of their own money just so that they can make their money in USD where it's stable. And they know that it's not going to change whether something happens in their country and there's a protest or a riot next week. So Interesting. Yeah. Next time you go abroad, check out Western Union and see if it's helpful in whatever currency you need. Have you ever used um, TransferWise? Yes, I have used TransferWise. That's pretty good too. I think that has like the lowest rate. Yeah, I just i I've heard of it for like such a long time, but I didn't really need to like look into it until now. And like, yeah, it seems pretty decent. I also use this is a big big tip. I think that a lot of people know about this, but I learned about it like a couple of years ago and i've been telling everybody the charles schwab atm card oh Mm. phenomenal have you have you used it before do you know what i'm talking about no i had a girl in a hostel tell me she gets like everything and reimbursed any fees atm fees and stuff so you can like wire your money into your charles schwab account and then like you can i think it's just about any charles schwab account I might be lying on this, but you can get a debit card and then this debit card you can use anywhere in the world and it like all your ATM fees get like returned. So it's like, it's perfect. So I use it all the time. It's so cool. Um, But I want to touch a little bit more about like, because I think this is interesting in terms of like women in the workforce, the feminism movement and how remote work is affecting that. And I want to hear your opinion on this because something that I had heard about, but I'm obviously not as close to the topic as you are. That because of remote work, a lot more women are actually staying in the workforce, right? Like we have so many like women that leave the workforce or feel that they need to leave the workforce for whatever reason when they have children or whatever. And because of the ability to work remotely, they're now staying in the in the workforce. What do you think about that? And like, do you think that this trend continues? Like just kind of like, what are your thoughts on that? Totally. I definitely think it's going to continue to grow as remote working grows and especially being beneficial for women. If you look at, you know, women that I think the average American woman working has to return to work after like two months after having a baby or something like that. Mm -hmm. If they don't have pregnancy leaves or, you know, definitely not with the dads or something like that, where other countries like Switzerland have it just made. I think they give you like two years off for the mom and the dad. Something my crazy cousin, like that. My cousin just had a kid and I think he said he gets like six months or something yeah. like that. Like, it's yeah. wonderful. So if you look at how the system is structured in the States, which is just awful for women having children, and then you think about women that can work from home, or this also gets the same benefits for like soldiers' wives that have to move around to random places around Mm -hmm. the world, but they still give them Wi-Fi if you're moving and living on a military base camp and you can still work from home technically, even though you had to leave your hometown where you moved from to do a different assignment, you can stay with that company, you know, do not fall back, have to start over from scratch in a new town. So not only is it helping just women, but also the whole idea of expanding that company's choices into a global talent pool of people and women from around the world, which creates so much opportunity for young girls and women in countries that don't have access to those jobs. As long as you have a computer and solid Wi-Fi, you can get the work done. The rest is on you, your work ethic to be your own boss, to push yourself, because of course there are challenges of working remotely. I mean, it's fucking isolating, you know, and we don't need to just gloss it over like, hey, look at me. I'm always traveling, getting my work done. You know, there are totally, totally challenges. Um, But in my humble opinion, it's worth it to do this kind of work, especially for women, getting more opportunities, being able to work from home, spending more time with your family. If you are a woman that, you know, has to choose between going to work and sending your kids to daycare, think about all that extra time that you have with your child. If you just carve out working while they're taking a nap or something like that, or have a play date. So I really believe that it's just crazy beneficial especially for women that don't have the same opportunities. I mean, you see you if you search on YouTube right now how like drop shipping works, there's definitely some mommy blogger that started an e-commerce business pulling in like 100k per year because she's selling, you know, light bulbs online. 
There's so much opportunity to make money right now. And for everyone out there listening, like, yeah, well, why the fuck isn't that happening to me? Like, where, how can I make this money? Once you don't limit yourself to just the jobs in your local community and the people hiring, but you start looking online for everybody in the world hiring, or if you want to be working for someone in your time zone, whatever, I mean, the amount of jobs out there really are endless if you are a remote worker. What's tough is finding them and competing with everyone else around the world with the lower rates. That's that's what I think the big challenge is. Yeah, I think in... in to comment on like what you were saying about like, you know, somebody who's like sitting at home right now, like listening to this and like wants to get into this, but just doesn't see how. And we're saying like, there's so many opportunities. I'm a very firm believer in that opportunities breed more opportunities. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like when, if you feel like you don't see anything, like you don't have any ideas, like you can't figure out how to do it. Like I can sit here and like, like rattle off like 20 ideas that I have in an Asana board right now that I literally don't have time to do, but that like, by this point, I have like a pretty good idea that like what could like pop and like what couldn't, but it's all about getting that first, right? Like I remember in 2017, after having my first like remote work kind of like set up, I actually, the company got sold. It was an e-commerce company got sold and I was kind of like left without like a job and like without like, uh, you know, like an income. And I had to go back to my nine to five job as a lifeguard actually, which is really <laughs> cool. Um, And I was like, the whole time I was like, I felt like, oh my God, like, why can't I figure this out? Like, I have no ideas. I don't have anything. And then like two, three months later, I had an opportunity. And then after that opportunity, another one came up and then like a third one came up and I had to like reject. And I was like, where the hell was all this? When, when like, it you know, rains, like, it pours. Yeah. That's what they say. Yeah, so you got to get going. Um, I want to touch a little bit on what you said about isolation and mm. feeling that as a remote worker. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how do you deal with that personally? Because I think it is true. Like the isolating thing, like my dad always asks me like, hey, you get like you get to work from home. Why are you always going to coffee shops? I'm like, because I don't want to look at the wall. (laughs) So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And just just touching on that, I I don't judge people that work from home to be able to only work from home in their pajamas. But me, myself, if I have this opportunity, I'm going to use it to actually get out of the house and just work from wherever I want. Your favorite coffee shop, the library, different co-working retreats and whatnot. Because the truth of the matter is working alone can be lonely. I mean, it really depends on your personality type and how you actually like to get your work done. Some people would rather be alone in a, you know, library Mm -hmm. conference room and some people that are creatives need to bounce ideas around each other and and chat and so how I kind of deal with that challenge is with my team we use you know tools like slack so you know all day long there are those random channels where it's work-related channels a certain client's channel and then the random channel where I you know kind of try and cultivate that water cooler aspect that remote workers miss out on having work friends. And, you know, those chats don't get responded to until the next morning because everybody's in a different time zone. But Mm. at least they got the joke eventually, you know, at least we can still communicate through tools like that, you know, using Google Hangouts, video sessions to have meetings instead of just a phone call, Zoom meeting or whatnot. You want to see the people that you're working with. And you might not ever get to give them a hug or shake their hand. I was actually talking to one of the guys at Remote Year, and we said that the funniest thing about remote working is that you have no idea how tall your fellow colleagues are. And I met this guy in real life. I was like, holy shit, you're like almost seven feet. But you would never know because you only see them sitting in a little screen on a box. Just was so fascinating to me. Okay, let's do this test because this has happened to me before. We're right now on the video. How tall do you think I am? Oh, man. I won't hurt my feelings. Just, just take a wild guess how tall I am. I'm testing a theory here. Okay, I would say my like 5'10". Everyone thinks I'm like like in, in like that I'm 6'1". And yeah, like I, you look I've like a tall like, guy. Yeah, and it's like it's it's funny because like I'll go. I've had several people to me that like you know I've known online for like years and like we do calls and like I go see them and they're like, what? Like I thought you're like a little dude, and I'm like, like what is it about me? I've had like two or three people tell me they thought I was like a short guy, and they're like, I, I'm trying to figure out what it is about me on video camera that like makes people think I'm like shorter. But but that's just the joys and mysteries of being a remote worker and like touching in on that isolation, but in a happy way. I mean, it's nice mm-hmm. to 
to keep up that mystery because maybe you don't want everybody at work knowing everything. I mean, let's look at the show The Office, for example, with Steve Carell. One of the things, you know, that saves employers time and money by not having that is because you're not paying for all this downtime in the office where you do these birthday parties and things like that. It really does save people money. But if you're the type of person that needs community and you are a extroverted creative worker that has to bounce those ideas around with colleagues, Perhaps remote work is not for you unless you have a solid team that really utilizes their tools, makes you feel connected, organizes team retreats perhaps once a year or something so that you can, I mean, these are big companies that might fly you into a conference or something. But if you're just your own little startup boss doing freelance, taking on some clients, it can be lonely. So ways to do that besides the tools are by working in co-working spaces. And another thing that I've always kind of thought with my sassy head is like, all right, if I want to work remotely, why would I go work into an office? You know, but I didn't understand that value until I was so tired of just working alone with my headphones in from different coffee shops. And I thought, you know what? In Buenos Aires, I got a day pass at La Maquinita co-working space. Amazing co-working space. They have swings inside, super cool. And they actually organized this happy hour. So everybody had to take a break if you had no meeting scheduled and come downstairs and get a beer in the common space. And they, they started this activity where you had to stand on two opposite sides. Like one was local Argentines and everybody else was expats and travelers. And they would ask questions and you take a step forward to kind of showcase how similar you are. And so for about 30 minutes, we got to know the people that worked next to us. I was only there as a visitor because still, I still personally would rather use my money going out and experiencing all the different cool cafes in a city than buying a co-working membership. But if you really need that community, that's a great way. And you know, everybody has different schedules there. So if you look at your partner and they're not ready to start conversation, don't hold it against them. We all have our own jobs. We just happen to be sharing the same space. So it's interesting. Do you do you consider yourself an extrovert? I do, but it's funny because that term, there's a real meaning, which actually means mm-hmm. how you recharge, not how mm-hmm. you are perceived socially. And somehow we've yep. like totally misconstrued that definition. So actually I recharge alone, which would mean I guess I'm an introvert. But mm-hmm. um but it's weird. Socially, I'm all out there. Like, talk to me all day. But I need to recharge alone with a glass of wine, in the bath, watching Netflix, you know. <laughs> the reason why I asked that is I had Liam Martin on the show from Time Doctor. And they work with tons of, like, remote workers, obviously. Like, tons of remote workers that use their tool. And they collect a lot of data on them. And so he was talking about how much they've learned about the remote work movement through that data. Interesting. And the thing, and I asked them, like, okay, like, with all this data, right, like, have you found, like, something, a tendency that makes somebody a good remote worker? And he said that, interestingly, there's, the data does not support that, like, there's anything that makes somebody a good remote worker, except for one thing. And it's if you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert, because he said, people who are extroverted tend to, like, go to a lot of coffee shops, while people who are introverted are just, like, they would just sit in their room, and then they'll just do their computer work. Mm. So he said that's the only thing that, like, it seems like has, and he didn't say it's, like, a big deal, like, you should only hire introverts. But he was saying that that they've noticed that in terms of like the hours that people put in on a daily basis of remote worker, if you're an introvert versus an extrovert, there is a difference, which I think is interesting as like a, a thing. It is. Um, and you got to know yourself, right? You have to know mm-hmm. what is your work efficiency, whether you're just introvert or extrovert, but also when it comes to scheduling your time, if you're someone that is a night owl and wants to get work done and write for three hours in the middle of the night, you know, your employer should let you do that because if you're mm-hmm. just confining someone and to the like structure of the nine to five and you are a night owl, you're not going to be most efficient and your work output is going to be shitty. And then that employer is not getting a good ROI and return of investment on their money that they're paying you for. But if an employer says, here's your money, make sure it's into me by Friday. I don't care where you get it done from or when, but it needs Mm -hmm. to be quality work. Then that's up to you to determine when am I going to work best and then schedule your vacation around those hours. Yeah, I think that goes back to what you said about, you mentioned like, okay, you're a remote worker. Why do you then choose to go and like work in an office? I think it comes down to having the freedom to say, hey, because I actually don't mind, like I think I could like function pretty well in like an office environment, but 
I I want to have the option of saying today I'm going to go into the co-working space, but tomorrow I'm not because mm-hmm. I'm going to go to this coffee shop or whatever. Um, and this is actually something else that Liam talked about as well is that it why like remote work is so beneficial to developers is because he said they've noticed that you know developers will have like they won't work for two days and then next day they're going to put in like a 13, 14 hour coding session overnight and then they won't work again for like a day or two. So that's what remote work allows you to do. I think is it allows you to work in the way that you want to work, which then allows you to have the best output possible versus like you said, like being put in like a nine to five, like bubble. Um, I want to touch a little bit more on your business model because I think it's really interesting the way that you've set it up and specifically it's it's a two-sided question, which they always say podcasters shouldn't do, but I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> so how do you find the clients, right? And then how can you talk a little bit more about like managing actually those people that the people that are on your team? So do you just pass the clients on to them and then you just collect like a percentage or do you for your percentage, so to say, like kind of handle the managing of the clients in like almost like a project management sort of way? Yeah, there are a few different ways, I guess, to run your own marketing agency. For me, that's a little bit of like a control freak because, I mean, these are ultimately going to be client testimonials and reviews on my name and what I've created. I want to be overseeing everything. So Mm -hmm. a little bit about my lead generation. I do a lot of outreach. I have my intern sending like you know, cold call equivalent of like email proposals every week. They send about, you know, 10 or 20 different proposals per week to just different companies that I think look like a small to medium sized business that maybe is owned by a female entrepreneur. So there's a few different ways that I pitch. I have a few clients that are in the food industry. So I go after food clients now, but then I also still look at female owned businesses. So I have two different pitch decks. One that says, hey, we're the agency that knows all about food and marketing and branding. And the other one says, hey, we want to empower female entrepreneurs like us. Let's help each other create more equal opportunities for women together. Boom. So that one, we do the pitches, proposals, emails. What we try and do is say, we love that you're doing this. We notice that you could use some help in this. It's like that compliment Oreo structure, I think they say. You start with a compliment, which is the top cookie. Then the middle cream filling is what you think that they could use improvement on. Then you always finish with a compliment again at the end. And I always offer a free 30-minute powwow strategy session over the phone where I would like to talk about what I think I can help them with. And so that takes a lot of research. I use an intro to do that. And then I look over it and say, what's the thing I'm going to help them on? Send. That has not been super helpful to me. I feel like people just, they get so many things in their inbox. Even me, I get all these people that are like, hey, do you want help to improve your SEO or your business? And I'm like, dude, I'm fucking doing that. Did you miss that? Right, like, that's what I do, you know, yeah. Like they, I don't know. It's just so spammy out there. So those annoy me. So what has worked best for me besides referrals, which are great, that's when you just put in no work. Um, well, you, you do put in the work. You do a great job with your client. You mm-hmm. prove yourself to them. Maybe you send them a super nice thank you gift if they sign on for a longer retainer contract. Sometimes I've sent people a bottle of wine or something if it's been a big, you know, win for me. Because those nice touches, they're going to refer you. But besides referrals, the sneakiest way for lead generation is commenting in Facebook group threads. Like just, wow, Facebook groups. So if someone says, I'm in all these digital nomad groups and female girls love travel groups, and someone says, hi, I, I'm really ready to start my travel blog, but I don't know anything. I've tried working on WordPress and Wix, and I'm just ready to pay someone to do it. Who can help me out? If you have you or someone on your team just going through Facebook, just fishing through those long threads and typing a response like, hey, I'd love to help you out. I actually just work with travel bloggers, such as your friend you mentioned before. And then just send them a quick comment and tell them, hey, personally messaged you. Send them over the resume, give them a little text. Hey, I know you're probably looking at a lot of options, but um, if you want to tell me more about your brand, I'd love to help. I'm actually looking for a new client right now. Most of my clients I have found on Facebook group threads, which is crazy. I would have never... Because that makes sense to me, but I my immediate reaction would be that those wouldn't be high-level leads. Not always, not always, but sometimes surprisingly. I mean, I had someone in a 
digital nomads group, they were posting looking for a blog writer. I wound up writing some blogs for them last March and they had their own marketing company and their company took on a huge medical client and they were doing all of their marketing. And because she had worked with me before, she said, Hey, do you actually want to work for this company? Because you know, like they white labeled your service. Exactly. And you never want to burn the bridge. And sometimes, I mean, I have clients that pay me my highest rate and I have clients that pay me my lowest negotiable rate that I'm willing to take. And you never know if those people are going to grow. And it's that same golden rule of you treat the janitor the same as the CEO. You treat your little client the same as the big one. I know that if you're doing time management skills and you're obviously going to work harder for the one paying you like big bucks per hour than the small mommy blogger who can't afford you. But I've seen it where these people grow and you just want to still be the one that they call when their business takes off. I think that's important. How do you make sure that the people that you work with are really top notch. Cause I think that's really difficult for a lot of people is finding the clients. We all kind of like get it, but like, how do you make sure that the people that you bring onto your team are superstars? Yeah. So in that first discovery call powwow thing that I talk about, I, I don't just do that to learn about their brand, to see how big they are. What is their marketing budget? Well, even before they do that on my website, there's a contact form that they must like their required fields to submit, which is what's your timeline? What's your budget? Tell me about your brand. So based on if that's, I mean, I do respond to everyone, but I get a pretty good idea about how much they're willing to spend or if they're quite small. Once I get on the phone with them, I just try and make sure that they're okay with the whole feminist values thing and be like, you know, are you okay with this equality? Cool. Then we're going to be fine working together. Um, And most of the people that do come to me are girls that want to work with girls like mine. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes a gamble. I mean... (laughs) Last year, I had to take a client to court, and that was fun. That was a big learning experience. And what I will tell you from that is make your own contracts. Do not just sign other people's, especially if you had any kind of hunch or intuition. I had this guy. He seemed great. Big bucks flying through. You know, really, like I was quite proud of myself. Mm. And in the end, the big bucks that we were, you know, signed on to get and everything was screenshotted agreements and text messages and then emails. And those actual numbers were never in my contract because it's freelance. So I worked for a marketing agency and he said, well, this month I have three new clients and I'm going to give you 75% of what I'm charging them. And I saw all those numbers and agreed to it. But when push came to shove and I submitted the work, this, this guy just did a complete 180 on me, like really just the most fakest person, the worst person that I could have ever worked with. Um, he owed me like five grand, I think. And after I never got that first paycheck, I decided to take him to court. I had to spend in the state of Florida. I think you can only file a small claims court if it's $5,000 or under. And I asked for like 4000 as just, you know, a settlement. And Mm -hmm. I had to pay, I think, $300 in court fees, $40 for the sheriff to go give him the summons. Um, And then I kept every receipt from like my parking at the courthouse, everything. I did not wind up getting all of my money back. I settled because, you know, the mediator told me, I don't think he's going to budge. And even if you Mm -hmm. do get your money back, it might take a long time. Mm -hmm. So not saying this to scare anyone from, you know, going for well, that's just doing business it's doing like business. shit like this happens and how how could i know you know because he seemed like a great guy with a lot of money mm-hmm. but it was just all front he did have a lot of clients he wanted people to do the work that he didn't know how to do himself and he was a scammer so mm-hmm. there's no secret handshake that we can shake someone's hand and just know if they're going to screw us over or not it's right and if you can't count on your intuition because people surprise you all i can say is just protect yourself legally and if you're a freelancer sitting there thinking do i really need to open my business for this 300 dollars fee do i really need to be an llc or can i just keep doing this and putting all this money into my personal you know checking account you are not protecting yourself if crazy stuff like this happen and goes down and if someone was to sue you oh let's not even start there 
You need to have your own LLC. You want your assets completely separate from anything to do with your business. Just, just giving some free advice out here. Cause you know, I've seen people get screwed over and we're young, we're entrepreneurs, we're starting our businesses. We're trying to learn from everyone else's mistakes and we are bound to have our own. I mean, mm-hmm. we would be ignorant to think not. So what about, um, like people on your team, like the people that you work with in terms of, uh, you know, who are in a part of your agency, like, how do you make sure that those people are, you know, high quality, you know, workers? Totally. Um, so we have interviews for anyone that wants to be a rebel girl. And that's kind of the basic screening, just me talking to these girls. Um, I not just based on their personality, if they're a cool feminist, you know, I kind of want them to be a little bit rebellious, because that goes in with our branding. So kind of the non traditional people that would handle your your marketing that are really good at what they do, but just maybe they have something super cool and crazy about them. Like they're working from a yurt in Kazakhstan, but they have the best Wi-Fi device. So. You have somebody with that? No, but okay. that's something I'm trying to do in August myself. So I'll report really? back if it okay. works or not. Um, yeah, trying to plan a trip there. But besides people, just getting a feel for them. I mean, portfolios speak for themselves. People's mm-hmm. work speaks for themselves. I want to see the work that they've created. I want to see if they're going to mesh with the team. And this is a this is a easy an easy job for them. How I talk to my girls is sometimes the cash flows. Sometimes there are dry months. If you have an agency, clients come and go. Everybody knows this. Unless you're locking on clients onto year contracts and that which I don't, I usually try and, you know, keep people on say, Hey, let's start with a three month trial period test so that at least I know for the next three months, I'm going to be making this much money, but clients come and go. And the girls know that when I have someone that needs their services and I reach out to them, I'm going to basically throw them a bone. It's like throwing a dog a bone. Hey, you let me know if you have at least five to 10 hours a week. And then maybe not this week, but in two weeks from now, I'm going to have 10 hours a week from you. Let's see if we can pitch. Let's see if we can upsell more services to our current clients to take on and you know give them a more holistic approach to marketing. What other needs can we fill for them depending on their budgets? And everyone is a freelancer. You know, We're doing like the 1099 thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I think, I, I'm not sure if it's just for Florida or everywhere, but if you're only paying someone a one-time project fee that's less than $600, you don't even need to um, claim them with 1099. Yep. But as a business owner, you want to do that because those are business expenses for you too. And man, don't get me started on taxes. <laughs> Yeah, if anybody if anybody wants to listen about all the crazy tax shit you can do, I did an episode with Andrew Henderson who like is a genius about all this stuff, but like I'm also like there's a part of me that when I talk to him, I'm always like, "Okay, Andrew, I, we're off the air now. How legit is this?" You know, like yeah. so I mean, he all talk <laughs> and he, I I believe him that it's all very legit, but you know, it it sounds very like exotic and like all this kind of stuff. Um but yeah, and I totally. think that there's something about a lot of governments haven't yet caught up to this. And as this movement becomes more and more common and you don't, you don't need to be a digital nomad. Like you can just be a remote worker. Like I think governments are going to have to start catching up with this. Like we're seeing some small government programs like, you know, remote Tulsa, for example, which is essentially saying is like, Hey, we'll give you $10,000 if you move here because they realize that like you can, and you're going to bring your expertise and that kind of stuff. So it's interesting how these bodies, like government specifically, which moves kind of slow, are going to have to adapt to this new way of work and this new lifestyle. Um, But in kind of wrapping things up, something that we had to talk about, but that we haven't got to talk about yet and talking about the crazy things that people on your team do, you mentioned sailing. Mm -hmm. This is one of the first things that I was like, I got to talk to Alex because I have spent some time sailing, not as much as you. It's always been a dream of mine to like live aboard and to like have a boat to like work out of. How did you get involved in sailing? Um, tell me a little bit about that and kind of like the work that you did there. And then also, did you get to like work online from the boat? And what was that experience like? Yes. Um, so before the whole marketing agency, as I said before, I wanted to just take random jobs that helped me travel. I did do sailing in college. My my university was on a lake. And I started just... What university? Rollins College. It's in um, Winter Park, Florida. Super, super small. Um mm-hmm. 
But after that, I started day working. I actually went up to my local shipyard up in Newport, Rhode Island at the Newport shipyard. And I just walked on the docks and I just said like, ahoy, you know, sea glass. And then like the (laughs) captain would come out on the deck and then I would say, hey, I'm day working, you know, starting at like 7 a.m. Because I just know that I'm going to find work if I go down to the docks. I'll say, do you need anything? And then they'll say, yeah, we actually need all of our linens ironed in the interior, you know, 20 bucks an hour work. I mean, that's what I was doing straight out of college. That eventually turned into some captains asking me to come on as a stewardess and um, hostess, both the same name for the position of the person that runs the galley, which is the kitchen inside the boat and handles the interior. Then I would take some first deck, first mate positions where you help the captain out with like mooring, anchoring, putting the boat into a slip, um, washing the boat down so the salt doesn't stay. And that was that was just the most fun job I've done. It's for me and my lifestyle, not sustainable. But as I've wanted to create freedom for myself, opening up my agency, which I hope to keep expanding, growing, taking on more clients, hire more girls, my non-negotiable is that every year I sail. So every year, starting in like basically January to March, I apply for a bunch of different sailing jobs that I know are for that upcoming summer. And I've done this for the past five years now. And no matter what job I have, I always know that for like four to eight weeks, however much I want or however good the pay is, I'm going to be working on a boat. Last time I did it, I handed off some of my work to one of my girls who kind of oversaw everything because there were a few storms coming in Croatia on the Adriatic Sea. There are these Bora storms. So that was a little bit harder to work from. It also depends on like the route. If I had a Wi-Fi device, but it only worked like one mile from land, obviously it didn't work out past, past the coast on open waters. So there I did not have any service. Um, and you're not going to like buy a satellite phone to do your work on someone's Instagram because that would be ridiculously expensive. So you really do have to plan it out when you, when I say you can work from anywhere, like you can, but, um, you got to be smart about it. So It's definitely challenging actually getting my work done on a boat. I have done it. If I know that we're just like, you know, in a marina for the week because it's like Euro Ultra Music Festival and I'm staying close to shore because my guests are going to be partying or something, I'm working on the boat while they're partying with my laptop and making sure that I'm preparing the meals and stuff before they get back. So it's it's funny you asked me about that. It is a, a really random part of my life. And I try and keep up with it as much as I can as my business is growing as an entrepreneur. And I hope that I still somehow can manage to, you know, keep that passion alive while working. A lot of people just get that misconception that because I'm traveling all the time and because I'm doing this travel blog on my Instagram, like, oh, how do you afford to travel so much? I get this question all the time in my DMs. And I have to remind people, yo, I'm working while I'm here. I'm not living on savings. I'm not getting all these sponsorships like these big, big travel bloggers, you know? Yeah, mom and daddy aren't paying the Hell no. You know, the bill. No, I'm working remotely. And I I think it's safe to say that perhaps every remote worker that's sharing all their traveling pictures on their Facebook and all their aunts that don't understand like what they're doing in tech, you know, at all, they just think, how do you have money to travel? And I'm like, yo, I've been in this co-working space basement for five hours with the shittiest Wi-Fi. Like, yeah, this is traveling. This is my night. And tomorrow I'll hang out. And it's like you said with your friends, especially with coders, sometimes they work for two days and then you rest for a few days off. So with this whole remote thing, it's, it's such a beautiful opportunity. It has to be well thought out. You want to get obviously a good job that isn't just going to work you to the bone. You do want to enjoy your life quality. I hate, you know, seeing our American capitalist consumerist society where people are just living to work and pay for bills and die and settle for two weeks vacation per year. I understand that I sound very privileged when I say that, but I mean, I don't even have a marketing degree and I created this marketing company and my clients just assume that I do. I studied music in college. So if you have that go-getter hustle and drive, you can create opportunities for yourself. You can hop off the bandwagon and society and 
there are always going to be people that don't understand that criticize you, you know, but I'm really happy with the way that my life is turning out. And while it is scary to be totally dependent on like social media and digital marketing services, because what if one day we were in a world war three and we were in a communist society and nobody had internet anymore, my business, like it wouldn't last. What else can I do? What else am I good at? What else can I offer? And one last piece of advice for everyone is while you do want to have that one thing in your forte that you do very well, don't put all of your eggs just into one basket. I like to think of income like an octopus and each leg is a different source of income. So one is my blog writing. One is my affiliate marketing sponsored posts on Instagram. One is my content creation. One is PPC and one is SEO. And the more things you can do, you know, the safer you will be when things come and go. But if I'm interviewing a rebel girl that says, you know, oh, I can do it all. I can do it all. Everything great. I know not to hire her because I, mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, I know how to do it all, too, but I can't do it all at 100 percent. Like maybe my SEO skills are 20 percent compared to my blog writing skills. But I still might take on an SEO client and outsource that work to my SEO friend who does it 100 percent and then just tag on a finder's fee and she does the work for me. So you got to be smart. You got to be open. You have to hustle. And I hope that for anyone out there looking to just cultivate some freedom in their life and just, you know, have the capability to travel or work from home in your pajamas, which sounds a lot better for mental health than being in an office all day anyway, nine to five, 40 hours a week. I hope that you do um, find what you're looking for. I'll also just put in the self plug. I did create a holy grail of remote work guide and this folder on this platform I use called bubble up. So if anybody wants to follow me and DM me, I will give you a free access just for listening to this podcast, which has and what's in that. So what's in it is different remote job websites, helpful articles, vlogs, how to convince your employer to let you work remotely and a bunch of helpful information, statistics. Um, it's kind of juicy. And for anyone that's curious and just very new into this world, be sure to just follow me at Tipsy Soul, T Y P S Y S O U L on Instagram. Just shoot me a DM and say, Hey, I heard you on the podcast. I'm looking for that free goody good, and I'll send it right over. Yeah, I think um, exactly. I had this conversation actually like last night or the night before with a, with a friend of mine about this is still tough. Like we've talked about how, you know, it's gotten a lot easier to do this from even like when I got started a couple of years ago. But I think now is the time to do this because I just think this is the direction in which work and business is going. In. And even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur, you're going to, I think in 20 years, we're going to wake up and be living in a world that's much more entrepreneurial in terms of like the skills that you need, even if you aren't, if you don't necessarily consider yourself a business owner. Um, and I mean, you know, I think that now is the time to like learn all these things and so that when that time comes, you're already rocking, you've got the skills and you've been doing it hundreds of times instead of when that time comes and the shoe drops and you're like, shit, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I don't know how to do this. You know, I just have a college degree in, in marketing or something like that. And you haven't had this, the chance to do all of these things. So I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, and I think that this is just the way in which like the world's going and, um, you know, gig economies on the rise and, and it's going to keep going. So um, I got to say, thank you so much for stopping by the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for opening up and, you know, sharing all the advice that you have. Um, I feel like we could talk for like way longer because <laughs> there's so many other things that I want to touch on. But uh, if you enjoyed your time, maybe you can come back on another time. But um, yeah, one last time for people that are listening. Um, what is the Instagram account? And then where can they find your company's services? Totally. So Instagram is tipsy soul, the handle T-Y-P-S-Y-S-O-U-L. And on that, in the link in my bio, you can find rebelcreative.co. So rebelcreative.co. And that's actually the URL for our website as well. So specifically, if you are a female-owned brand or business or a girl boss, entrepreneur, or freelancer that's looking for some new clients and would like to submit um, your resume and cover letter, I just... I'm just out here trying to connect like female hustlers. Um, So I think the world needs more of that. 
Also, random fun fact, way out of left field here, but I was listening to a podcast by Jim Quick. He's one of my favorite podcast dudes. And he was talking to this girl who, um, this woman that just wrote a book and actually talked about the science behind females' productivity based on their cycle. Very interesting. I can't quote something on that. We're going to end on that weird note and you're going to go look it up later yourselves. But something super interesting for, you know, female entrepreneurs while we're while I'm talking to you all out there, be sure to schedule in your productive time in accordance with your menstrual cycle, because there are times when you can actually do problem solving and thinking more clearly and other times when you have brain fog and lethargy. So I apologize for that random note. As a dude, I'm totally ignorant. I've never even thought about that being a thing. And yeah, that's really smart. I'm working better actually considering when my hormones are at play and what kind of work Mm. do I want to be doing. The analytical research and SEO blog writing or the more creative branding and strategy and lofty thinking. You know, there are weeks in the months that women are actually better scientifically proven at doing those tasks. So something to check out. Google it. And thank you for listening. (laughs) Good to know. Thank you so much for being on. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good one.